Good morning. Good morning. Are you okay? Do you, you know, you can take some water if you want. Okay. Welcome to everyone. Welcome back to some. <laughs> Welcome. Oh, look at that. Excellent day. Hi. Are you up? Seguin just came, flew in from uh, Taiwan <coughs> through Korea. Uh, via Korea. Via Korea. You're probably asleep right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Seguin has come to help uh, our head student with uh, the head student's practice period. So, thank you very much for coming. How's your mom? Same? Welcome. Okay. Um, How many of you are new to Brooklyn Zen Center? Raise your one, two, three. Okay. So, the beginning of what I'm going to say is for you. Um, So, there are a few um, basic things that we in our community try to cultivate in order to establish a kind of a baseline practice. And I just want to give you those words and not say so much about them, but just so you kind of get a sense of where we're at. And if you're interested in continuing to practice with us, this is what you would be paying attention to and develop. And the first one is just a reminder for everyone, and that is to say that we do study the precepts, which are kind of guidelines for all Buddhists. Uh, We take them seriously here. So you would be studying precepts. And partly the reason we study the precepts is to establish a stable mind without not lying, without not stealing, without not gossiping, without not praising yourself above others, without not uh, slander and gossip and so on and so forth. The mind really has no chance of settling and being still and able to develop a mindfulness, a continuity of paying attention that is necessary for the work, your responsibility for your own freedom. So that's, precepts are necessary. And then it helps to know the difference between unnecessary suffering and pain that comes with life. So... Uh, Just very quickly, we can't avoid getting things we don't want and not having things we want, for for starts, or the the loss of a loved one or illness. These things come with life. What we pay attention to is what we add to that. And we call uh, that, which is usually grabbing on to some drama, about what happens, 
or averting from it altogether. We call that unnecessary suffering. And that very, very much can be addressed and certainly can be a path to our own freedom. In fact, (laughs) uh, oddly, I guess you can say, um, when we're ready, which can take as long as you want, (laughs) the path to your own freedom is, is actually through the entangled, the difficulty, sometimes the searing truth of our delusion and pain. So, and hopefully we give you enough support to do that. We're all doing the same thing. So, <clears throat> so to know the difference is important. And then to make a choice to, uh, to know that you don't want to suffer anymore. It's really good to know that, to be clear about that, because sometimes, sometimes it's okay. We, we, we almost would rather suffer because it's more familiar sometimes. We're comfortable there. We know how that works. So you need to be really clear that you're really tired with suffering however it comes for you. You know, whether it's through uh, family conditioning or physical conditioning and addictions, whether it's from uh, well, however it comes, anger and feelings of unfair and injustice. or just despair about how things are. It doesn't matter. However it comes, whatever you add to whatever is happening, you have a choice to be free of that addition. And in order to make that choice, you have to, we have to, understand that we are 100% responsible for how we respond to anything that happens. So as soon as you have some reactivity, and immediately you go to blaming another person, that's a clue. You're not taking full responsibility for your own suffering. It's not that it might not be true what you're pointing out, but that's not the path to your own freedom. Is that? Oh, look at lots of nodding heads. (laughs) I like it. That's great. Okay. So um, we offer here some tools. One of the things that we offer is called RAIN. It's an acronym. You could look it up in the book called Wide Awake, Chapter 8. <laughs> it's in our library. A number of copies. <laughs> and there are other things, too. And one of the main things, of course, is meditation. Um, Now, why was I about to apologize? No. I'm not going to apologize. You've got to sit. There's just no getting around it. And if you can, can, every day. And sometimes you have to sit like hours a day. (laughs) 
That's why we offer, you know, long-term, we call them sashin or retreat, because sometimes it takes three days before your mind actually gives up and lets yourself just sit there enjoying the world as it has come to be. You know, it takes three days, at least sometimes four or five, to get through the fog of delusion, you know, the fog of the entire, everything that happens is about me delusion. a joke, you know, really. No, okay, not a joke. (laughs) It's good to talk with a teacher. It's very good, very helpful sometimes, usually. Um, And it's very important to develop continuity of mindfulness, continuity of mindfulness. So what that means is, is it's very good and it's important and it's necessary to meditate Without question, everybody, in my opinion, should take some time out of their day and give themselves this gift of stopping. It's a gift. Just stop. And be. But that's not the end of it. You need to have this continuity of paying attention all day long. It's necessary. So those are the basic things that we emphasize here for everybody's uh, developing a stable and sustained practice. So for those of you who are new, that's the story of the day. So what we see when we look often is in a way, as I just mentioned, is we, through this constant self-referencing, we create and maintain an identity. We kind of do this selfing thing. We create and maintain a sense of a separate, solid, unchanging me. And of course, this is the, uh, this is the treasure hunt. This is the treasure hunt. This is the way we create and maintain this sense of me is our treasure hunt. And um, so the Buddha was interested in this treasure hunt. He took on this treasure hunt. He wanted to, he wanted to understand for all of us which is, to me, enormously encouraging. I mean, this guy, this guy is a, um, he's an encouraging, he's an encouraging, he's an encouraging person, he's a person. He's an encouraging person and an encouraging story for us because we are not different in, in any way than he was. Well, maybe he was an expert in, you know, like he was very good at spiritual stuff, you know. Like Einstein was good at mathematics. I'm, you know, we're all equal, but some people are, what do they say, more equal than others? (laughs) So maybe the Buddha was a little bit more equal in the spiritual genius side. But he was a person, just like us, just like we are. You know, he had suffering just like we do. He had all of the same, we have all of the same, you know, faculties and 
um, everything that is needed in the same way that he did. So I find his story and his being out there enormously encouraging. And what he did was he really looked, he really went on this treasure hunt to, to, to find what is the, what, what, what happens when we make this identity? What happens when we believe in this separation? When, we, when our mind, when consciousness and physicality contract, you know, and we're pained by it. In fact, suffering is a clue that we've done that. How do we do that? He was interested. And one of the things that he saw, almost, I guess you almost, I'd like to say right now anyway, the thing that he saw is called dependent co-arising or dependent origination or dependent... Dependent, I guess that's dependent co-arising, dependent origination, dependent, there are other ways of saying it, but anyway, you understand what I mean. Everything arises in dependence on something else. He saw this, and he, uh, he talked about it to, in terms of the, let's call it the 12-fold chain of becoming, or the 12-fold chain of causation. Or sometimes it's in the imaged as the wheel of samsara. And uh, I want to talk about it a little bit because um, I'm going to give a class on it starting in a little bit. And I wanted to, uh, there's not going to be enough time really to go very deep in that class. There are only four classes. And the first two are going to be about the 12-fold chain in the way I'm going to talk about it today. I have down here that I want to talk to you about the cicadas. I have no idea why. <laughs> do you know about the cicadas, the Sabatinia? You do. Well, I want to tell you about them. So, excuse me, this is, this is totally about dependent co-rising of the cicadas. Do you mind if I tell you? OK. So, you know, cicadas, they just came. The cicadas come out of the ground in billions. I actually don't know if they do the same thing, like in Africa or Asia or South America. Is it only the United States? Is it only North America? Does anybody know? There are. Well, these guys, these little, little buggy guys, they come out of the ground after being there for 17 years. They come out and they start, as soon as they come out of the ground, they start climbing. They start trying to find things to climb on. Mostly they're supposed to find trees. But nowadays we have cut down a good deal of the trees, so now they're climbing on buildings, which I think is going to be a problem for them because of what I'm going to tell you next. What they do when they come out of the ground and they start climbing up on trees is they start um, attaching themselves. They try to find a good hold on the tree. And then they metamorphize, just like caterpillars do, into 
um, butterflies, they metamorphize. So they're coming from the ground. They climb up the trees. They hold on to a tree. And then they turn them, they get turned into this thing that can fly. Isn't that totally cool? I mean, after 17, if you were 17 years in the ground, <laughs> it's something that you would want to know how to do. When you climbed up, you would want to fly. I mean, that would be a great thing after 17 years in the ground. You would want to fly. So they do. They, they do. They, they, they get out of their little other body. And as they, as they work to get out, their wings get strong. That's how they get strong wings. And then they fly. And they try to find a mate, which many of them do. And of course, many of them are eaten along the way. But because they're billions, that's what we all do. <laughs> we all eat other beings, right? We do. The other day, I went, there's a gigantic Chinatown to my right, to the south of here. This is south, right? To the south of here is a gigantic, gigantic <coughs> Chinatown where we went into a big marketplace. And in the marketplace, we went to the place where they were. Chinese people have an incredible cuisine, right? And in that cuisine, they eat everything. And so there we were, and there were turtles that were dead, ready to be eaten, you know? And took me aback for a moment because I had a turtle as a pet. <laughs> When I was a kid, tortoise, I had a tortoise. Cicadas, okay. I'm totally focused. So um, they fly, they mate, and then they go back to the tree and they bore a hole into the tree and they lay billions of larvae. Billions of larvae. And this is all happening within six weeks, very quickly. They lay all these eggs, and the eggs come out as larvae. And the larvae crawl out onto the limb and then drop. And they know just what to do. They immediately start burrowing into the ground. Billions of them. And then they wait. 17 years. And then their cycle comes again. It's a miracle, you know? Life is a miracle if we're just there to notice. We don't have to do any more than just be it. To appreciate the miracle. It, Suzuki Roshi said, life itself is magic enough. You don't need anything else. But we complicate it. And, and so the Buddha was looking at how we complicate it. In minute detail, he was looking. And he came up with the 12-fold chain, which he thought was too difficult to teach. And so the way he taught the 12-fold tw- the chain, the 12-fold chain being the hidden structure was through the Four Noble Truths. It's really amazingly brilliant thing to do. So the 12-fold chain, what is it? 
the first three, um, it's a little bit difficult to talk about. We'll talk about them more in the class. But the first three can be thought of, and traditionally, certainly in the Tibetan exegesis, is that the right word? Can I use that word here? Explanation of putting out. Is that right? Good for me. <coughs> I used to have a great vocabulary. Gone. I can't, I can't remember the name of my own. Never mind. Okay. See, what that is, this is interesting. I just, see, I could have created a me right then. I could have recreated an identity and keep, keep that identity going if I wanted to. If I didn't notice that I was doing that, if I noticed I was doing that, I could kind of do that because I wouldn't be giving it a whole bunch of strength. But better even not to go there. So the first three are a little bit, traditionally they're thought of as, you can think of it this way, as a past life. But you don't have to. You could just think of it as a past like yesterday instead of a past. (laughs) You'll see why in a minute. So the first one is ignorance. Ignorance very quickly just simply means ignoring, traditionally it means in the Theravadan system, ignoring the Four Noble Truths. You can also say ignoring the truth of uh, uh, or not being separate, you can say. Ignorance, uh, and the next one is karmic formations which means like imprints, like a conditioned habit, old uh, imprints. That's why I said yesterday, because we're all conditioned, right? Yesterday, <coughs> today, this, this morning, just before we came in, <laughs> we're always uh, re, from every experience, we're imprinting. And if it's imprinted from separation, it has a certain kind of imprint, which influences consciousness, which is the next one. So by this time, consciousness is already dualistic, self and other. Then come the four physicalitynesses. Remember, the Buddha is looking at how we create suffering, right? So he's, he's looking very carefully. So the next is name and form, the physicalityness of us, and then the organs, receptor organs, of which there are six, eye, ear, nose, tongue, taste, and mind, in Buddhism, is considered an organ, connecting with their field, raising consciousness, and then we have contact. And after contact, there is sensation. What kind of contact was it? Was it pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? So those just come with the territory. Not even a problem if we stop there. But then what happens is the next next five, and the next five happen very quickly. Zip, 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 zip. So if we have a pleasant sensation, what happens? Almost immediately. 
Yeah, we want more. I'll take that. Thank you very much. I'll take that and another one. <coughs> Two cookies. <laughs> That's why they call them potato chips. <laughs> I enjoy my potato chips. I enjoy them with cottage cheese. I know nobody, probably not many of you. <laughs> you understand? Cottage cheese with potato chips? Very good. Salt, you know, with a little sweet. So immediately comes craving, and then grasping and holding, attachment, and then right away becoming. Why, after there's already attachment, it's like, done. You're done. It's over. You, your identity is ready to massively be there, and then birth. You birth an identity, and it stays for a while, however long, and then old age, sickness, death. And it happens again, and again, and again, and again. This is the wheel of samsara, the wheel of suffering, the wheel of becoming. A friend of mine was walking in a mall, shopping mall. You know, in the shopping mall, there are all these windows. And as you pass by, or even if you walk down the street, right, there are all these store windows. <laughs> and they all reflect you. Then you walk by. And she was kind of, she's walking by, and she, 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 she wasn't really thinking. She wasn't being mindful. She wasn't thinking. She was kind of like uh, la-di-da-di-da and sort of a little bit tired that day. And she happened to glimpse herself in a window. And she didn't like what she saw. And right away, all these old karmic imprints came welling up. And she had a thought, and the thought was, I don't look very good today. I'm not attractive. And then she bought into that. And as soon as she bought into that, she was looking around, and everybody else was more attractive than she was. And then in comparison, mine started happening. And it took like boom, 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 before you know it, she had birthed an unattractive person. Her identity was stuck in, I'm not attractive. And because there are other things, you know, when we, when we bring up an identity and stick to it, it doesn't come with just that one little neat little identity. It comes with baggage. It's pulling along all of the other things that come with, I'm not an attractive person. No one will like me. I'll never find a relationship. I might like is doomed from now on. And 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 these are habit thoughts from the past. And it took her a bit to start paying attention when she noticed that. It took her a bit to kind of get herself out of that identity, <coughs> loosen it up a little bit. That's what it means to take birth. We create ourselves, and we give ourselves an identity. And then we do this constant self-referencing business. 
we keep telling ourselves who we are over and over again, all day long. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I think is fair and not fair. This is what is right and this is what's wrong. This is how things should be. These are the assumptions that I think about a relationship. And on and on and on. Now, most of us um, spend time, a good deal in the beginning of practice, paying attention to these emotion thoughts, the reactions, the emotions, the thoughts that are passing through the mind. And, And that's necessary for a while. It's necessary to address these ways that we are uh, caught. We pay attention to what's passing. But at some point, when the mind is really stable, you have enough skill to do this kind of watching. There's a good enough being present muscle. There's There's good enough continuity of awareness. You're no longer so interested in the passing show. You're not so identified with the passing show. And you begin to look deeper at mind itself. So one of the... um, I guess it's the same thing as rain, but only in a, in a deeper way, I guess, in a way. When we begin to look at mind ourself, itself, we, we can... <laughs> itself is kind of an odd way to talk about it. But um, we, can, we can then use that in a very conscious way. We can allow these imprints, these conditioned emotion thoughts to arise, and then stay close allow awareness, allow the big mind to stay really close and be able to penetrate or imbue, is not the good word, penetrate or um, suffuse these, these karmic structures. And then something magic happens. They dissolve. And Many of you have this experience. If you stay close to these structures, these karmic structures, and allow awareness to penetrate, they dissolve. Because there's nothing actually there. So if they're seen very clearly, they dissolve. Unfortunately, as I say, often, you have to be it to see it. You have to have the courage, the conviction of faith in your own practice 
to allow yourself to feel what you've been perhaps averting from or making a drama out of. You have to just let it be as it is without adding anything to it or pushing it away. And then allow holding it softly, but firmly, in awareness, and they dissolve. So now I want to tell you a little bit about what is helpful. Of course, we notice whenever there's separation, because like I said, that's the clue to tell you you're caught somewhere. So always working wherever there's separation is seen. And then renunciation. Almost, we can almost say, just if, and I don't mean renunciation from a place of weakness, but true renunciation where you see how the self is working and you don't give it strength, you don't feed it, you don't, and this is a she said, you don't invite it to tea. You renounce every time selfing comes up. You don't go there. And it gets subtler and subtler and subtler. You renounce all experience, even, <coughs> even experience of awakening. And like I said before, it's good to know you're done with suffering. You make that commitment to yourself. And then surrender is really important. Just saying yes. And also, again, not from a place of weakness, from a place of uprightness. Just say yes. Not once but again and again. And then what I find really helpful is to have some gratitude. A daily taste of gratitude is really helpful for your health, you know, for the sun, for the leaves changing for one relationship that you appreciate. Anything, doesn't matter. My rose bush. And also I think to do this with a sense of gentleness toward yourself, because the process sometimes isn't easy, so gentle. Suzuki Roshi once said, you are you when you are you. When you are you, Zen is Zen.
and oddly. As we do this practice, it's it's a little bit strange, but so let me see if I can say this. Um, The more you get closer to who you actually are, the less you are, and the more you're you. It's kind of a paradox. Right? The more you're actually you, the less you are. So that's our practice. To disappear us so we can be truly who we are. So in my experience, um, it really is helpful to do this in community, in the intimacy of community. It's really helpful in that community to uh, take some responsibility because it's through taking responsibility that things come up for you in a context that's, that reminds you to be mindful, unlike my friend in the you know, walking down the street or in the mall. When things come up here, you notice. If you're Doan, Kokyo, Chanter, Wood, Striker. So, um, let's continue together walking this path, you taking responsibility for your freedom and awakening, me trying to cheer you on and point as best I can and just kind of be with you as me, totally not perfect, (laughs) but willing, very willing. And so please come forward, you know, come forward, do the little jobs once a month, sign up, you know, come to the various things, take the classes, get involved, so that we can all do this practice together. It's fun doing it with other people. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.